It's about time because we're going there. Hi, friends. I know we are on a break from our regularly scheduled podcast, but in between now and when we start our next season, I wanted to pop in and spread some love. If you're new around the podcast, let me welcome you and let you know that I'm excited that you've joined us for our podcast party. I'm your host, Bianca Wattis Oltoff, and we just finished our fourth season of We're Going There. It's been my honor to create content that equips and inspires and also sometimes entertains. In between seasons of the podcast, I decided to go back to my roots. At my core, I am a word nerd and Bible teacher, so I'm sharing some teachings out of the book of James that both Matt and I shared at the Father's House Orange County back in 2020. Yes, the year of the pandemic. I also wrote a Bible study guide for the series that will help you on your journey through the book of James, and it's absolutely F-I-E-E. And if it's for free, it's for me. Hello, somebody. Hey, it's my gift to you as you journey through reading God's word. All you have to do is shoot an email over to podcast at inthenameoflove.org. That's podcast at inthenameoflove.org. And that email will be sent directly to producer Madi. So show her some love as well. When you send over that email, you'll be sent a PDF of the study guide. Again, it's free 99. If you enjoyed the podcast, it would be amazing if you left a positive review and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss one episode. I hope you enjoy the series and I can't wait for season five. If there was more in season four, then it's a vibe in season five. Love you, friends. The series title is, If You Don't Know, Now You Know. Yes, Bible scholars. All right. And this is discovering the bare truths of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Last week, I opened up our time together with kind of really driving home this point that James doesn't want us to just say that we are believers. We actually have to live this out. So we're gonna dive straight into the book of James since we already had a warm up last week. Will you pull out your notebooks, your Bibles, your pens, your highlighters, and turn with me to James chapter one. We read James chapter one, verse 22 last week, but I'm gonna add to the layered complexities that James is going after us with. We start in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. You're acting a fool. The only one you're lying to is yourself. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So James wrote this book, remember adding some context so that we all have a foundation to stand upon. James writes this book to a specific region and there's a bunch of churches that he is encouraging. Why? Because they are under massive persecution. Uh, Around this time, Rome was over all and Rome saw the influence and the rapid growth of these followers of Jesus. They called them Christians and it was a derogative term meaning you're a little Christ. So these followers of Christ began to take the message of Jesus around and Rome was not having it. To try to stop the advance of the gospel, the church was persecuted. So during this time, James is talking to the church saying, listen, we already got a bunch of trash outside of the church. We should not have trash inside the church that's causing division. So he's seeing like, wait, there's these things that are creeping in and this is not who we are. This is not how we act. You should know better because Jesus Christ lived out his life for us to follow. So James, as I mentioned last week, is a wisdom book of the New Testament, meaning James is gonna bring a bunch of uh, 
I like to say some tweetables, some memes, some little quotes that you would love to post on IG, okay? So he's gonna bring some wisdom for the church. And he is telling the early church, hey, how we're acting, it's dividing us. This is not who we are. So he had specified unity should be a byproduct byproduct of this family. And one of the things that James goes after in chapter two, hopefully you did your homework, by the way, we have a free DF, which is a free PDF, going through a sole workbook, going through the book of James. We, why? We want you to be learned scholars of God's word. Anyways, you can download that on the app. There's a link in the profile. So um, James goes after the, this concept of favoritism and judgment that's happening in the church. Now I know TFHOC is so perfect. I know that we never have favoritism. No one ever judges here, right? And so for all the carnal people on the outside, I'm gonna give some context so they could understand really bad behavior. Side note, I'm being very sarcastic because I know our church is not perfect. Our church is not perfect. However, I'm gonna try to put an understanding around favoritism because I think at first look, most of us would say, I don't have favorites. I don't, I'm not a subject of favoritism. There's this game that we like to play, not just as a family, but as a staff. And this game is called Fishbowl. It is like charades, but on crack. Okay, it is like, it's not just charades squared. It's charades cubed. Okay, so you have a bowl and you have an index card and the people who are playing this game put a noun on the index card, a person, place, or thing. It could be anything. And you drop it in the fishbowl and you pick up the card and based on the card, you could use gestures and you could use words to give clues about what this word is. So if I were to pick favoritism out of the fishbowl, I would want you to know what favoritism looks like. I would like you to know what favoritism feels like. I would like you to know what favoritism sounds like. So if we see it here in the church, we put a stop to it really quick. Thank you for the one clap in the back. Hallelujah. Listen, and this is just a lovely, lovely side note. You never want to play fishbowl with Matthew Ray Oltoff, okay? It will end in yelling, dare I say, screaming. And I know he's your pastor cheating okay Matthew Ray Oltoff is savage and now we even have a rule he's not playing fishbowl unless he's the judge so um you're welcome this is a judgment-free zone so I'm not going to tell you that that is him but we got mad love for him now because I firmly believe that we have to identify it if we see it we got to say something about it why because James knew how detrimental it was to the church In fact, this isn't just a concept that James brings up. Paul speaks about this in his letter to the Romans. He says this in Romans 2, 11, for God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, period. That's it. If you were wondering God's view on favoritism, he has no favorites. And someone's like, oh, I thought I was his favorite. Sorry, baby boo, get in line, all right? He loves all of us the same. If you are a note taker, this is what I want you to jot down. See, say and show, because James is gonna do that for us. So Paul knew in Romans two, when he wrote to the Romans, he knew that favoritism was a thing that doesn't unify, it actually divides. And the ultimate picture of unity is modeled by God himself. Let me explain this. The incredible beauty and mystery of the divinity of the Trinity is a picture of unity. 
That was real good, so I'm going to say that again. I worked on that one, okay? I'm going to clap for myself, okay? The incredible beauty and mystery of the divinity of the Trinity is a picture of unity. And we can't even wrap our minds around the depths of this because it is the Godhead three in one. And in mathematics, I think we think about gods as being one plus one plus one, and that's three. And here in this oneness, it's one times one times one because God is one. And we see unity at the very beginning of our biblical history where we hear God say, let us make man in our image. See, the enemy hates unity. The enemy wants to attack unity. Why? Because the enemy knows that we have power when we are unified as a body of believers. Scripture says where two or three are gathered, he is there in the midst. God's presence is revealed when his people come together. And the enemy's goal is to divide. Plain and simple. The enemy wants to come in and cause divisions. And guess what? Pretty soon TFHOC is going to be open yet again. Uh, you got to pray for some permits. You got to pray for something narrow. But God's going to make this happen, right? And when God opens the door, we have got to be so fierce about our unity. Because if we are disunified, if we are not connected, guess what? The enemy has an inroads to completely divide us. This is why, if you were with us in our Undivided series, this is why our foundational passage for the series Undivided was John 17. Jesus prayed, Father, may the believers be unified. May they be one as you and I are one. So with that context, open your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter two. James chapter two, beginning in verse one says this. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He just came out and said it. If you, if you real special, he said it in one sentence that we must not show favoritism. But then he gives us a word picture. Let's pick this up in verse two. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a wonderful seat right here in the front. I have front row parking. I have a valet spot. You can sit right here. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. Oh, verse three, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you sit there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with your evil thoughts? So let me ask you today, what do you see? What do you see? In church, here, your communities, your colleges, your cubicles, your campuses, the local grocery market, what do you see? For those that were with us uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Matt gave a message, uh, the last closing message of Undivided, and he gave some recent uh, research that's going into the psyche of humanity. And uh, specialists have deduced that within the first seven seconds, the first seven seconds of meeting someone, you, based on their clothing, their gender, their skin color, their, their, their handbags, their teeth, you have a whole assessment about that person's value and worth, who they are, and what they value. And James is saying, 
That trash is jacked up. That's what the world brings. But here in the house of God, dare I say, in the Father's house, there is no business for that here. There is no space for separation. There's no space for judgment. There's no space for, oh, you cute, you pretty, you sit there. Oh, you a little busted, you sit over there. There is no room for that. That's what the world offers. But here in the house of God, no, everybody has a seat at the Father's house, at the Father's table. Look at verse 2. Suppose a man coming into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. Now, James introduces two characters to kind of give us a word picture, okay? But I just, I want to pause because I said this last week at church that I grew up on the New King James Version and the New King James Version has different words that are um, a little bit more descriptive. But as I started to do like a deep dive of this, this word gold ring, um, it was very different. James, theologians believe, James made up this word. This word in Greeks is hapax, H-A-P-A-X. And it's not a gold ring. The actual phrase is gold fingered, as in like somebody has talons of gold. And, and this would be, um, uh, he's trying to create a picture with a made up word. And let me tell you something, a couple weeks ago, we were in the Undivided series, our producer and also my best friend Brianna um, caught that I had said this word prejudice. Apparently, y'all, it's not a word. And so when she called me out on this, my flesh wanted to rise up and be like, prejudice and racism, it together, prejudice. But I called myself, I said, oh, you're right. But you wanna know something? I'm justified, Brianna, because James is doing it too, okay? So James is saying that this is a gold-fingered person. They're with resplendent clothing and opulent clothing. They're living in the lap of luxury. They're the people that roll into church. They got the Gucci on. They got the red bottoms. They're popping them Yeezys. They got the LV monogrammed. They got the Porsche key hanging out their belt loop. Okay, we all know them. We all know them. We all know them. And then the other person is someone wearing busted clothes, looking a little janky. And I know for all my LA family, you think that looking homeless is cool. But during this time, James is not for it, okay? He's not for it. And James is saying, this treatment that's going on in the church, that should not be. And so let me put it this way. I'm going to bring up two of my models today. And here, we're going to show the lens of favoritism. Already we got a house divided. Did you not hear me preach? A house divided. Now, I just want to take a moment and pause and give tribute to the Los Angeles Lakers for winning another national title. Come on. Now, for those outside of Southern California, for those outside of America who are watching online, you're like, I wonder what they're fighting about. Okay, so here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles actually has two professional basketball teams. Most people know about the Lakers, but there is a ride or die Clipper culture. And simply based by our lovely demonstration of our carnal friends and family that already demonstrated, all of us are going to be prone to side with one or another. You are gonna be more attracted to the person that you resonate with. I am a ride or die Laker fan. Since Magic, since Kobe, and now LeBron, I mean, I got a little bit of love for him, but whatever, I'll, I'll take a championship anyway. 
I can, I can look at my brother Joshua and say, oh, you're a Lakers fan. I know you. We agree. I can co-sign on you. You know what? I like you. But then I can see my brother Preston over here and say, oh, you're on a losing team. You must be a loser. Why are you even over there? No, I, I don't like you. And I want you to take a symbol of these jerseys and just fill in the gap because this is how we make our judgments. We make judgments based on what we see. And I wanna take both of these jerseys and I wanna demonstrate something. If I were to take these jerseys and take a look at the tag, the tag shows me that they're made by the same manufacturer. So if I take these jerseys and flip them inside out, I discover that they're made by the same manufacturer. Somebody who's sewing these jerseys in a warehouse isn't saying, I'm not gonna sew for the Lakers. I don't like the Lakers. No, no, no. They're made in the same warehouse. And you wanna know something? If you were to take all of us, the world is trying to say, I want your political party and I agree with your political party. Oh, oh, what's your educational status? I like your, oh, what's your color? Oh, what's your gender? Oh, what's your preferences? And you wanna know something? We all walk around with labels on the inside of us that say made in the image of God. The thing that's supposed to separate us and divide us. Uh-uh, we're the same. Can we thank our cute models? Don't look too hard, they're taken. All right, thank you, boys. Jesus did not play favoritism. Jesus didn't play favoritism. He didn't just kick it with the cute and the polished and the pretty and the perfect, the people with the eight pack and the thigh gap, the people that just say all the right things at all the right times, they brunch at the right places, they save the right money, they're voting for the right per person. Ah, uh -uh. Jesus wanted to kind of erase all the lines that divided during that time. When religious people came in and drew the line and they said, don't have dinner with that sinner, Jesus. What did Jesus do? He sat down at the table with the tax collector. And he said, where's your line now? And they said, Jesus, Jesus, us good rabbis, we don't talk to those women, those immoral women. And what did Jesus do? He sat down at a well at noon with a Samaritan woman with a very peppered past. And he said, where are your lines now? And when the religious people said, oh, you shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're very bad people. They're not voting the right way. They say cuss words. They go to clubs, they're not good. Jesus hung out with them because he believed that they needed healing and liberty and justice and freedom. And guess who was around Jesus during this three and a half years of his ministry? The disciples. So if there was anyone that knew that Jesus was like, ex nay, bump that to favoritism, it would have been the disciples. They would have seen that Jesus did not put one people group over the other, that Jesus came for all. They would have gotten it, but we still see them struggling with it. We see in, that, in the book of Acts. So the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, describe Jesus' life on earth. And then the uh, book Acts comes right after, and it's documenting the acts of what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. And we see that there's this man, Peter, Peter witnessed so much of what Jesus did. Peter saw Jesus turn water into wine and heal the leper. Peter saw dead people live. Peter would have known that Jesus was not preferential. 
And yet we see in Acts chapter 10 that the Lord reveals to him to go to the house of a Gentile. Now, remember, I'm a good Jew. Let me tell you that as a good Jew, you don't hang out with non-Jews. And he has this invite to go to a Gentile's house. His, this man's name was Cornelius. And Peter's like, oy vey, what do I do? Do I go hang out with the Gentiles? So on this way there, he's conflicted. I should go, I don't know. But then he gets to the house and we pick this up in Acts chapter 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak after he saw that the presence of God was palpable in the lives of the Gentiles, he says this, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The same spirit that came upon God's chosen children resided upon the Gentiles. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in us. And Peter would have seen Jesus obliterate favoritism and judgment. And yet Peter, he even still wrestles with it in his own life. Now, before we judge Peter and say, no, 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 Peter, that was so wrong. I pray that we have an eye-opening experience like Peter, that we have prejudice in our hearts. We have favoritism in our hearts. We have prejudism in our hearts. <laughs> and here's the thing, you might, be serving, you might be serving the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years that doesn't make you absolved. It doesn't, it doesn't give you permission to not do a heart inventory, to do some soul work in your homework this week. Yes, I'm nagging you. But in light of what James is dealing, I decided to do an experiment of sorts. Um, before church started today, I decided that I was gonna hang out in our living room. Our living room is uh, basically, it's the foyer, but in the living room is where we congregated before church started. I asked a friend of mine who has visiting from out of town if she would participate in this experiment with me and for me. I said, hey, I'm gonna stand in the living room and I want you to stand a few feet from me. Now, I know you don't know anyone, but I just wanna test our people at TFHOC. I wanna see how they treat a new person here at church. Now, Pastor Matt, he is a man of such great faith. He said, B, I don't think your experiment's going to work because our church is so loving. Our church is so kind. We welcome everyone. And I said, oh, you're right. I'm just going to run this experiment. So on the screen, um, the arrow is where you will see my friend and you will see me standing a few feet away. I'm right there in the black blazer and that God awful visor. Thank you, COVID. So I'm talking to people, that's lovely. Now, do you see Bridget on her phone? All in black. In the span of 30 minutes, not one person came up and spoke to Bridget. Bridget, will you come here? What you don't know about my sister Bridget is Bridget is from Texas. And I first met Bridget about four years ago and we met in a jail in Lubbock, Texas. I'm gonna try not to cry. I know, me too. I know. I remember meeting Bridget, and I remember her coming up to me and asking me to pray with her. And the thing about prison ministry is that you meet people that you don't think you're ever gonna see again. And a couple years later, I went back to Lubbock to that same jail, but Bridget wasn't there. Bridget had been released by the grace of God, and Bridget drove back just to connect with me and Chelsea and the prison issue that we have. And I got to hear this woman's story of her love and passion for the Lord. 
and her being able to take her story and her testimony so many places. So Bridget drove from Texas to California to come and be part of the Father's House tonight. But y'all, I have to say, not one person spoke to Bridget. The reason why this is important, if we don't get love right, we're getting Christianity wrong. And the reason why this matters is because there are people like our incarcerated brothers and sisters who are ostracized and marginalized. And if we don't go to them, well, they know the love of God. And so Bridget, thank you for trusting me with your story. Thank you for coming to church and sharing your story of transformation with so many people. I want you to check out James 2, 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is saying, you are acting with earthly eyes in a way that's causing trouble. But when you see through God's eyes, all that stuff, it goes away. So the question I ask is, what do you see? What do you see? Because 1 Samuel 16, 7 says that man looks at the outward, but the Lord looks at the inward. So what do you see? Do you see the possessions or do you see the person? Do you see the behavior or do you see your brother? Do you see the external or do you see the internal? And if we as a church don't deal with the division within our own walls, yo, we're getting it wrong. We're going to open up our doors and people from around the world are going to come to this church. And if we don't go after every single person to demonstrate the love of God, we are getting this whole thing wrong. And when we, when we see, we change what we see. It changes what we say. When we change what we see. It changes what we say. Because James knows that what we see affects what we say. Look at verse three. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. James goes further and says, favoritism is not just the things that we see. It's also the things that we speak. It's the things that we say. So now what you've seen is affecting what you're saying. And the enemy knows that he has done so much through the power of our tongue to cause divisions. That's next week. You don't want to mix next week's message. Because when we're seeing wrong, we're speaking wrong. When we're seeing people made in the image of God wrong, we're going to speak wrong about them. And you know what's damaged so many churches? And maybe you're sitting here and thinking like, no, 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 I, I'm not judgmental. I don't have favoritism. I'm going to level this up a little bit for our context and culture. I think I have been around a lot of churches and a lot of church culture. And the things that I'm seeing divide are cliques. Now, here's the thing. I know that they're shared life experiences and we naturally are drawn to, if I'm a new mother, I'm gonna be drawn to young moms. If I'm an entrepreneur, I'm gonna be drawn to people that talk about uh, gross income and net wages and Roth IRAs and that's all that I know, right? So then if I'm attracted to um, single people who are ready to mingle to the glory of God, then we're naturally drawn to different life stages. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we intentionally exclude people and avoid people and talk about people and are not inviters of people, we show a sense of favoritism. 
This is not the heart of the father and he doesn't want this in his house. We've got to deal with favoritism because it changes what we say, it changes what we see, and it changes how we speak. And the enemy knows that when we are divided, we lose the power of unity. So this is what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that you analyze what you're saying. Analyze the speech that you use. Oh, the incarcerated will never change. Oh, that ethnicity is just lazy. Oh, that gender doesn't feel anything. They're totally fine. They can take anything I throw at them. I just don't get that type of person. I just feel like I should keep my distance. What do you see? What do you say? What do you do? Look at verse eight. If we really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Do you know how we are to remain united? We show the love that we have for our neighbor in the way that God has loved us. We allow our love to go deeper. We allow our love to go wider and we beat the enemy at his own game. We can't say that we don't care about our neighbor. We don't care about who they vote for. We don't care about their socioeconomic status. We do care, but there's something that we care about more. And that is their identity as being an image bearer of God. They are part of our family, especially in this house especially in this house. You are part of this family. And if we don't get this right, we're doing Christianity wrong. I'm not gonna follow the way of the world. I'm gonna follow the kingdom mindset. Can we as a church decide to not have favorites? When we see it, we must stop it. When we say it, we must confess it. May we show the world what true love looks like. Action is needed from us. This is not just saying, I'm not a racist. I don't have favorites. I don't, have, I, I don't judge. Look at James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Love finds a way for us to have a conversation that moves us forward as one. Love finds a way when so much difference can separate us. We must be willing to fight for unity amongst the brethren, fight for unity in our church. And James is appealing to the church and I'm appealing to our church. I'm begging us by the mercies of God. If we look like the world, how are we any different? Can we find and allow love to flow in places that it has never flowed before? God is asking his family, hey, don't let favoritism divide. So today, church, we're gonna do business. And I'm gonna ask you to do some soul care, to do some soul work as we dive into your homework, your soul work and your PDF this week. Can you begin to ask yourself, do I have favorites? Do I have favorites with my children? Am I splitting my household? Because clearly there's favorites in our household. Am I splitting my friend group? Because I'm prioritizing one friend over the other. Am I judging my neighbor? Am I excluding that girl from church because I really don't like her or she threatens me or fill in the blank? If you see it, say something about it. If you speak it, confess it. Because we show the world what true love is.